This is Life Change Church, Muskegon. What are you doing while you listen? Driving, mowing the lawn, folding the laundry, multitasking? We're so glad you're here. Subscribe and share this weekly podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, on iTunes, or at mylifechangechurch.tv. Join us in person Sunday mornings at 9.30 or 11.30, or catch us on Facebook Live. Here's Pastor Ron Rands. Good morning. Would you turn in your Bibles or your smart device to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And uh, today, this is our fourth in this series about living the full life. What a time to talk about full life when everybody is just feeling like they're uh, shorted life and shorted opportunities. Uh, we're going to talk, in fact, I'm going to uh, reference a passage that the Holy Spirit really gave to me um, early this morning. And we're going to go to that passage in just a few more moments. But before we do that, uh, this series is meant to build. And, you know, I'm a, some of you know that I'm a builder. And so what it's meant to do is build. In, set, in fact, I think so many times we don't understand God's ways. I love it how Moses, who uh, you, you would think, man, this guy's intimate with God. He's walking with God. He's talking with God. He has this burning bush experience. He goes up on, on top of this mountain. Even in, the, he, even, even in his uh, death experience, he still goes up on the top of the mountain at 120 years old. But what we really miss is that Moses was always seeking to know God. In fact, he says, teach me your ways. He didn't look at the people because the people, see, a lot of times we get our reference of how well we're doing spiritually by how poorly other people are doing spiritually. Well, I'm doing better than that. But we don't get our spirituality from the presence of God or taking time in his word or literally just getting in the presence of his Holy Spirit. It's like we're, all, we're, we're always getting our mirror of who God is in our life by others. And the Bible says very clearly that's just unwise. And this passage really ha- helps us understand that it's, it's about growing up spiritually and that these, the way you grow spiritually is through promises. And in that these promises become alive and, and that God is his word. And I know that these are cliche thoughts. The Bible says that, you know, Jesus was the word and the word became flesh. And so you can't take God and his word out of the equation. They're the same. You can't take the Holy Spirit away from the word because they're the same. And so if you want to be in, if we're designed and we're created to be in his image, then the word of God needs to be in our life and operational in our flesh. So when people see us in our flesh, they should see, wow, that seems like something I read just the other day in the Bible. I I read about that and and there there Bill goes and Bill is acting like what I just read. And and wow, I I, I think that's exactly what I, I, when I was uh, in my prayer closet, and the Lord was rec- you know, referring a scripture to me, that's what Susan just said. Because the things that we speak, the things that we do, are referenced from the word of God. And the word became flesh. And so in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and I, 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 hopefully you're 
getting this, this isn't about you, this isn't about your self-will, this isn't about some kind of behavioral management. This is about, look at verse three, by his divine power. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. So if you're struggling in your godly life, you're struggling with COVID, you're struggling in your marriage, you're struggling with your finances, you're struggling with you know, your workspace or whatever, you're struggling with your children, then what we really need to, to live a godly life is that we have everything, but, but you're, what you're really struggling with is connecting to his divine power. Because by his divine power, I have everything that I need. And so if I'm not getting some needs met in some areas that I'm really struggling with or weak in, is that I'm really struggling with finding this presence of his divine power. We have received all of this by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Verse four, and because of his glory, which, what is this? It's a churchy word, it's a big word, it's a word of God word, which means it's his expression, it's who God is. And excellence he has given us great and precious promises. Here's a key. You should be looking for these promises. You should be searching scripture for these promises. When people talk to you and go, what'd you learn in church today? I learned another promise. Or maybe I'm furthering my understanding of this promise. I'm getting to know who God is in this promise. It's not just some word. It's not just some doctrine. It's not just some scripture. It's God speaking a promise through his word. These are promises there, these are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature. Backing up, how do you get the divine power? Through the, his promises. And escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with generous provision of moral excellence. Moral excellence with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance, today we're going to be talking about that's perseverance. And patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more you understand his promises, the more you understand who God is through these promises, the more productive and effective you will be in the knowledge of your Lord Jesus. But those who fail to develop... Those who do not look at these promises, those who do not study these promises, those who do not memorize and, and begin to apply these promises, what happens? Who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted, blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Now, I, I want to talk about, and I know that there's a lot of um, our family that's missing with us, a lot of the... In fact, lately, a lot of the family of God is, is suffering with um, symptoms of COVID. So I'm going to speak to what God says... Just a few scriptures, promises that say about sickness. All right, here we go. And these are not in your notes. These are really easy. You can Google this. Promises about healing. You, any of you can do this. All right. Psalms 30 verse 2 says, Oh Lord, my God, I cried for you to, for help and you restored my health. How many of you can cry? If you don't know how, I can give you a kick. You can learn. <laughs> James 5. How many of you realize there are leaders and elders in this church? Raise your hand. Okay. Okay, but this is a promise you don't call out. This is something you don't do. Okay? James 4, 5, verse 14 and 15. Are any of you sick? 
You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. So it does not say that the elder calls on you. You call on the... So if you want the promise to function, you need to do it according to the promise that is written. Call on the elders. Proverbs 4.20, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart for they bring life to those who find them and healing for their whole body. 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you were healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. One more passage, and there's many more like this. Isaiah 40, 29 to 31, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high wings. They will soar high on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. That's how a 120-year-old man can outrun a 20-year-old man. That's how a 120-year-old man can lead a nation. Because it doesn't go by the nature of the age of that man. It goes by his divine power that we have these promises. And so many of us are acquainted with it, but this is the difference what I'm trying to tell you. Add to your faith moral excellence. Heroic moral character. And to, what does it say next? Moral character. What does it say? Faith. Then it says knowledge. Knowledge of what? The promises of God. Who God is. is walk. Well, how would Jesus walk this out? How would Jesus talk this out? How would Jesus respond to this out? How would he look over there? His word is full of promises to tell you how it would happen. God, I can't do it that way. God goes, I know you can't, but my, by divine power, you can. And then it says self-control. Not some human thing that you're trying to do, because the world has that. When God tells us promises, he's not trying to equate to something the world has. Because then again, this is by his divine power. And today we're going to be talking about perseverance. Perseverance is when it's not a message that's on the outside that you're struggling with. Perseverance is when it's a message on the inside. You know, if you, you uh, squeeze something, you press something, you can really find out what's in something. That's what happens. It's not when everything is going the way things you'd like to go. For instance, I'll tell you a funny story. All right. Just this week, my wife and I um, were working on a, a project. We had sold one of our rental homes. And we were doing as usual, running, trying to get some things done. And uh, somewhere in the, in, the, in the case of time, I had grabbed her keys. And you know, we have these, these crazy fob things nowadays. And your car will start if you're close to the car, even though you're not in the car. So my wife goes over there and starts the Toyota. She starts the car, she drives it. I'm in my truck, I'm in my Ram truck. And my Ram thought it was gonna take on its own identity of ramming. So you can already know where the story's going. So anyway, what happens is I'm going, you know, she was far enough away now that I had her keys. I had her keys and my keys in the pocket. I had not known that. So I'm like, get out of the way, girl. 
So I'm waiting her for start the Toyota and take off, and she doesn't move, and I'm going, what's going on? So meanwhile, I had already started the Ram, threw it in drive, all right? Car's not, truck's not moving. I get out of the truck, I go over there, and I start walking, I go, why aren't you going over there? And we're now looking for her keys in the house, because we thought we're leaving in there. We turn around, we hear a <laughs> turn around, and the Ram rammed the Toyota. How do you talk to an insurance agent and go, is anybody hurt? Yeah, the Toyota. All right, sir, anything else? <laughs> so what really happened? Don't really want to explain. Too stupid to talk about. Point is, is we're not gonna let it ruin the day. I'm gonna find something good in the moment. Here's what's really good. The, the Ram didn't even, I mean, it's just, it, I go, it'll buff. And it did, it just buffed out. The Toyota, and that's not gonna buff. All right, there's a little too much damage to the Toyota to buff out. The cool thing is, is because no one was in the Toyota, it was parked. It's a no-fault accident. <laughs> so it's fully covered, no deductible. Now, the Ram just hit a buff. So you, you can find good in everything or you can find bad in everything. But one of the things is I'm not going to do is whine about it. One of the things I'm not going to do is get all frustrated about it. Do I learn from my mistakes? Someone might guess no. But anyway, the point I'm trying to share with you is I'm going to allow the joy of the Lord. Because see, there's a promise in the Bible, Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I need joy in my life. You need joy in your life. And everything that's going on in our world today is systematically, intravenously taking the joy right out. And so what, this is not something new. When you read the word of God, we're going to talk, in fact, I'm going to reference a passage that's in my, um, I want to read to you right now. It's found in Isaiah chapter 43. This is a time where the people were finding that they, they, they were becoming captive again by the Babylonian empire. And there was just a lot of rough things going on. There was some, a lot of trials that were going on. The people were losing heart. How many of you ever lost heart in some situations? You liars. How many of you were losing heart in some things? Okay, you're losing heart in situations. And this is not new. God has promises that are on record for the, a different season, a different time, but it was for you. It's found in Isaiah chapter 43. Now, here's what I love about this. It's because God teaches, and we have a, a thing in our discipleship thought is this. Do it for them. Do it with them. Watch them do it. God is the same way. God does it for you. And many of you Christians keep waiting for God to do it for you. And that's not God's discipleship. God will do it for you. I think that's what the cross is about. Then he'll do it with you. Then he expects you to do it. So let's read in this light of the Isaiah chapter 43. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Again, this is not in your notes. And I know it's not on the screen. So listen, amen? <laughs> Isaiah 43. And this is found in verse, I'm starting with verse 14. For your sakes, I will send an army against Babylon forcing the Babylonians to flee in those ships they are so proud of. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. I, the Lord, who opened a way through the waters. Now here God's talking about, Listen, this is what I did in the past. This is what I did in the past. Stir yourself up. 
I, the Lord, who opened the way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea, I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves, and they drowned their lives, snuffed out like smoldering wick. But forget all that, God says. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. Whatever I've done in the word of God, it's nothing compared to what I want to do in your life. For I am about to do something new. See that I've already begun. Do you not see it? There's a beginning. Holy Spirit, show us what you're doing. Show us what you're beginning. I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers and dry wasteland. The wild animals in the fields will thank me. The jackals and owls too, for giving them water in the desert. Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland for so my chosen people can be refreshed. I have made Israel for myself. God says, I have made my church for myself. And they will someday honor me before the whole world. But dear family of Jacob, you refuse to ask for my help. You have grown tired of me, O Israel. How many times have we done that in the church today? We've grown weary. We're almost tired of hearing about it. We want to see it. Just like Israel was doing with God, so is the church doing with God today. You have not honored me with your sacrifices, though I have not burdened and wearied you with requests for grain offerings and frankincense. You have not brought me fragrant calamus or pleaded with me with a fat from sacrifices. Instead, you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your faults. I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. Let us review, listen to this, let us review the situation together. God wants you to sit and have a conversation and let's go through the situation together. And you can present your case to prove out your innocence. From the very beginning, your first ancestor sinned against me. All your leaders broke, out, broke my laws. That is why I have disgraced your priests. I have decreed complete destruction for Jacob and shame for Israel. God is saying, look, I want you to understand the power of my forgiveness. I want you to understand it's not about fa false promises and false ideas. It's not about following some religious creed of priesthood and making these sacrifices. I am calling out my people to believe, to hold fast, to grab onto, to persevere in this hour, not about just words and about thoughts. In fact, I say to everyone that's really sitting on the deathbed, this is what I say, why does God want you alive? Because if you can't answer that question, how am I going to pray God's promises in your life? There is a purpose and a plan. The Holy Spirit has breathed life inside of you that in this short time we live on this earth for a purpose and design that God has made. And so many of us have made it just to exist and not to literally be the image that God has created us to be. I challenge you, walk with God's design. This last week, I was helping my son put up a truss and lifting it up on top of the roof. And I don't know, someone, he told me I did a flip in the air and fell because the ladder gave way. I am not going to lay on the ground as a paraplegic. I am not going to die of COVID because God has a design for me to be alive and he has a reason for me to talk and a reason for you to talk and that has to be bigger then all of the circumstances, whether it's falling off a ladder or a truck running into a Toyota, whatever it is, what is the purpose that God has inside of your life? Let that promise be bigger than all the circumstances and all the chaos that either you create or somebody else creates. 
But the bottom line is that God has a word inside of every one of our lives to touch so, on one another. In fact, we're going to be going on to this in a couple more weeks. That next week we'll be talking about, uh, we, we obviously have a great message on, the, on Mother's Day. But the following week will be on godliness and then brotherly kindness and then love. Many of us are saying, God, I want my life to be a testimony. Let me tell you something, your life becomes that testimony when the promise is more alive than the circumstances. You are always going to be hard pressed by circumstances. And circumstances do not dictate your faith. What dictates your faith is a promise that's alive inside of you. Let me read a testimony from someone in our church family. We have had many chances to talk. And I know you are aware of the trials I've had in my life. In a time that I needed him most, God led me and my family to you and Life Change Church. Since that time, so many things have changed in my life. It has been less than two years since we joined. But in that time, I've seen changes in myself, my wife and my children and my entire family. I was led to quit smoking. I wanted to quit and try it on my own. Sounds like self-control, man-made. But at the altar, divine nature. God spoke to me and there were things I needed to let go of. So I poured my heart out and then waited on him. When the time came, I did not quit with a patch or a pill, but with his divine power of the Holy Spirit and the encouragement of my small group and my church family. I am certain that the changes that I am determined to make in my life are not only possible by seeking God. I know that through seeking him, I will find my way, his way in my life. I am excited to see what he will do in my life this year and how he will move me. My only resolution is to resolve to walk with him more, for he will lead us in things we need to change, just as he led Life Change Church to us. Come on, let's give God praise. Number one in your study guides. I know there's a lot of intro. Number one. Self-control will lose steam on its own. Perseverance will be the fuel to stay the course. All of us need encouragement. All of us need the fuel. All of us need to overcome and persevere. Perseverance is that fuel. James 1, 4 says, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let God's divine nature work inside of you. You need to have his perseverance. This is not some perseverance inside. It's human made. This is God made. It's his divine power. The NLT says the same, same uh, promise. So let it grow. What? Perseverance. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Number two, perseverance is what you will need to attach to self-control. These things need to go hand in hand. And Luke 21, 16 says it this way, you will be betrayed even by parents, by brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. You, we, you hear this and you look at all those circumstances. How can it get worse than that when everybody that's blood and family begins to go over there and label you as a heretic? And yet God's divine nature, his promise on the inside is greater than all of that attack on the outside. Number three, new levels will bring new devils. As you grow in God, you will face bigger devils. As you mature in his plan, you'll face new ones. I, I, I wish I could take this right out of the message today, but it's not true. 
Acts 6 verse 8, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs in people. You would think Stephen, he was the, one of the, the number one pick for being a deacon. He goes, man, I'm, I'm there now. And the next chapter in his life, he's stoned to death. New levels. New devils. Number four, you will need endurance to persevere. You will need endurance to persevere. Second Corinthians chapter 11. And I was thinking, my wife, you know what's sad is that I was, as I was thinking about this message and how many people that are heroic, and even in the Bible, how many people were celebrated. Just think about the word celebrated. And I was like, wow, I could hardly just come up with very many historical moments in the Bible where people were celebrated. But I could come up with a ton of them where people were criticized or caught in some nonsense. And I thought, that's just like today. Something great happens in your life. I mean, if I went over there and, and, and shared with you, yeah, this guy, you know, uh, just, just right out of the blue, walked in the office and said, God told me to give you a $100,000 check. And all of you go, well, what do you do for get that? Why, why did he get that and I didn't get that? We would struggle with criticism. You would find, but man, I can tell you about how dumb I am with my Ram hitting my Toyota. You're all, ah! See, we can all look at that because all of a sudden it's a hardship. We can all identify with the hardships. We can all identify with the, the craziness. And we are, we're all like, because it makes us feel better. He goes, well, man, my life isn't as dumb as pastors. I must be doing, I must be okay. You know, but we can all grab hold of that. But when somebody's celebrated or when somebody's promoted, when we all of a sudden, we become critical. And it's not some new thing. All throughout the Bible. I mean, we got Cain and Abel. They're the first kids. And Cain is critical of Abel because God's accepting one situation and not his. All throughout history, we can't find. And yet the Bible's very clear that when we think about celebrating and honor, they go hand in hand. We're supposed to worship God. Okay, this is how God's, this is what heaven's going to be like. Just to give you an idea. Worship God, celebrate each other. I mean, a lot of us can really learn how to talk differently when we get to heaven. Because we don't celebrate each other now. But that's what heaven's going to be. You start talking, man, I want to tell you what God's doing in my life. This is what he did, blah, 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 blah. And it's going to be so exciting. Everyone's going, yeah, 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 that's cool. That's what God did in my life. That's what, but here, when we start talking about something that's celebrational, right away, there's this critiquing thing. That's what goes on almost instantaneously. That should not be. We should be so excited when something great happens to a brother and sister. And God, here's Paul. And he's, he's busy trying to celebrate. In fact, he says, I sound like a fool. Isn't it? I feel the same way. God's doing so many awesome things in my life. And I, it feels like when I talk to somebody about it, I feel like they're looking at me like you're a fool. And so here's Paul. It's caught, and I, I love how God inspired us to read it. It's caught in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 16. Again, I say, don't think I am a fool to talk like this. But even if you do, listen, as you would to a foolish person, while I also boast a little. Such boasting is not from the Lord, but I am acting like a fool. And since others boast about their human achievements, I'm going to do it too. 
After all, you think you are so wise, but you enjoy putting up with fools. You put up with it when someone enslaves you, takes everything, everything you have, takes advantage of you, takes control of, control of everything, slaps you in the face. I'm ashamed to say that we've been too weak to do that. But whatever they dare to boast about, I'm talking like a fool again, I dare to boast about it. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, even been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. I want to want to live through one of them. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spoke, spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and robbers. I have, I have faced danger uh, from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. I have sh shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? If I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I am not lying. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Artes kept guards at the city gates to catch me. Had to lower it in a basket through a window in the city wall to escape from him. Number five. Perseverance is not simply enduring this for the sake of enduring but walking with God so that you reflect who he is through your test. God will allow you to overcome the new devils in your life because someone next to you is literally fighting the devil and they're not winning. And so God would like through your testimony of how you're winning through the devil's test and through life's test that your life would be a space of newness and freshness, of overcoming of hope, Recently, I was thinking, you know, if I didn't know Jesus, I would really hold on to the 80 years of life I'd have on here on earth. And I'd hold real tight to it. I'd be mad at people that would want to take any time and space away from me. Because that's just not that much time. But because I have hope, I have a living hope. His name is, and he's on the inside of my life. And I know that this life it's nothing but first grade. Hopefully I'll graduate to second someday. But anyway, it's nothing but first grade. And that heaven's waiting for me. It's waiting for you that know him as your Lord and Savior. So I'll persevere in this space. And I'm not going to grab onto this life and hold on to it like it's the only thing I got. But they, on the other hand, are holding on to it because that's all they got. Am I going to look down at them? Because of their ignorance? Or am I going to literally be empowered to care for them? And that my life in some way would demonstrate hope. Jesus didn't come here to what? Condemn the world? He came here to save the world. What is saved? To be made whole. The places that are empty in their life to help fill it. Last passage I want to share with you is found in Mark chapter 5. No 
greater place, I believe, than perseverance is spoken of than our Lord Jesus. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus got into a boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter's dying. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't that be you? He said, please come and lay your hands on her and heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and the people followed, crowding him. And a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from her doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd, touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, if I can just persevere, if this promise can just become just alive in my life, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once a healing power had gone out of him. So he turned around the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, I can imagine everybody touched you. No, somebody touched you. Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman trembled at the realization of what had happened, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace while, you're, while your suffering is over. Now, I don't know if you, before we read on, if you were Jericho, wouldn't you be mad? I would be. You promised me you're, we're going to get on this journey. No more interruptions, no more distractions. Stop being distracted. My daughter is dying. Get on it. I'll put you on my back if I need to. That's where Jairus, Jairus is at. Now let's read on. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus. Now think about this man. The leader of the synagogue, they told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Perseverance has a different sound. Can you hear it? Perseverance is the Holy Spirit, where the promise is bigger than your circumstances. Jairus' circumstances, he's going to be ticked at the woman who just distracted Jesus. He's going to be upset that Jesus didn't, you know, run. I mean, he could do anything, right? But that's not what's speaking inside of him. Jesus overheard them and said, Jairus, don't be afraid just have faith. Now, remember what we said, add your faith virtue? Heroic. Virtue, knowledge. Knowledge of who God is. And to that self-control. And to that perseverance. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone accept him with Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why is all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed. But he made them all leave. He took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said, Talitha, koam, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. Do you remember the three that went in the transfiguration? We talked about last week. Who were they? Peter, James, and John. Here we are with the same guys that were told 
not to say anything. Keep the secret. Keep it inside. They had been entrusted to do that in the transfiguration. Jesus says, you know what? I can trust them to do this too. Jesus wants to take the space in your life and wants to entrust you with his divine power. That's what, he's, that's what he wants. He wants the world to see who he is. Not as some intellect. Anybody can study. Anybody can even quote. But can it be literally alive on the inside of your life? Isaiah chapter 43, we read it earlier. The Israelites were struggling with God's promises. I believe today, that's where we're at. I think we're struggling with God's promises. We're struggling with marriage. We're struggling with parenting. We're struggling with COVID. We're struggling with the promises of, of tomorrow. Many of us don't even want to talk about eternity because we just think, if I can just get through this, I really hope that one turns out better than the other promises. And we're missing the whole point. Every promise wasn't so that it had a better end. Every promise was so that you'd know who God is. That's the whole point. It isn't, it isn't so that you have the end of the story is better than the, the interim of the story. It's so that you'd know God. That's the whole point. Do you know him? I know him, but I want to know him more. I want to know him in 2021. I want to know the God that overcomes COVID. I want to know the God that brings racism to an end. I want to know God that brings demographics together. I want to know God that fills a church home again. I want to know God that heals the sick. I want to know God that fills people with the Holy Spirit. And if I'm in that way, I want to get out of the way. But I pray to God that God can help me understand the Peter, the James, and the John. God, am I not to be trusted with your power? God, help me to get to that space. Because these great men were just men like you and me. They were just entrusted. There's a passage, and I'll close on this. It's in John 2.24. As I was studying it, I was just many years ago studying to be intimate with God. John 2.24 says this. I don't entrust myself in no one because I know what's in them. What I find in my Christianity, it's not trying to gain more of God. That's one. But it's also emptying myself so that he can fill me. Because I know that God wants to entrust himself to me, to you, to you. I know that. But am I empty enough? Am I empty of my opinion? Am I empty of my experience? Am I empty of the customs of this world? Or am I so full of that, that when God brings his promise, like a burning bush moment, well, that isn't supposed to happen. Well, that's what, because that's divine power. It's not about what's supposed to happen. Am I so keen on the natural events that walk out and not the supernatural events 
that want to manifest. God is supernatural. He is divine. He is holy. I need to get my unholy thinking into his holy space. Just please bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, it starts with forgiveness. I can't connect with you with having guilt and shame in front of me. The cross is bigger than all of it. Lord Jesus, you paid the ultimate price so that we could have connection with Daddy, our Father. If you're here in this room right now and you don't have a connection with your Father in Heaven, Jesus paid an ultimate price on the cross so that you can. This is not a time where you look to the left or the right. It's not about joining a church small group or joining a church at all. This is about you allowing Jesus and the power of what you've done become real in your life. So I'm going to pray this prayer. And if this prayer is a space that you've not truly allowed your life to engage, to surrender to, make this moment yours today. And at the end of the service or during the worship time, you come to this altar and surrender all. Pray this prayer with me, church family. Say, Father God, in Jesus' name, I receive your forgiveness, your love, your hope. It's alive. You're alive in my heart. In Jesus' name, I am all yours. Amen. If you liked this message, we want you to share it. Subscribe to more podcasts through mylifechangechurch.tv. Get involved. Ask for prayer. Share your story. Go to mylifechangechurch.tv. I'm Karma Adams, producer. We'll see you next week.